Greetings and salutations to our fine podcast audience. How's everybody doing? <laughs> you just mess with my microphone. And you know, I listened cold. to us last week, and I noticed in that thing where you're saying that and you tail off, I have this tendency to just talk right over the top of you, and I decided this time. You I didn't just, do it. I would just let you go all the way to three. Thanks for letting me have my greeting, Ed. Your total decrescendo toward the end. I've noticed that the past two weeks I have not lifted up my microphone, so I've been sitting <laughs> Real hunched over. And, well, we appreciate that. So, Body language matters, I hear. Yeah. So okay. I want to sit. All right. Sit so we are. We're a little uh, more hungry than we were last week. We didn't yeah. have food this week. Yes. I still say we should say we're sponsored by him, though. Yeah. Oh, he's the only sponsor we've had. Good food. He might be our food. only listener. This. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast spikled. Uh, spikled. <laughs> Someone else do the sponsored by Michael. <laughs> Can you say it, Ed? No. Michael, we appreciate you. Yes. We sure do. Good right. food, good fuel. Good I food, promise good not fuel. to spikele anybody. Okay. Yeah, good. I hope Whatever not. that is. All right. So uh, let, let's, let's, let's kick off with a, a fun question from the, uh, the virtual lobby yeah, this weekend. Yeah, our, our virtual, uh, virtual for, lobby. For those of you who join us online, we have a virtual lobby starting early Community at the Christian service. anywhere. Every oh, yeah. week, yes. And uh, this week, I thought it was an interesting question. I just would love to hear y'all's answer to. All right. Mm-hmm. What's a book, TV show, movie, what's something you saw, watched, listened to recently that you would recommend to people? Hmm. That's a good one. Do you I, want me to do one of each? Oh, I don't care. You can do whatever you want to do. Clock's right. running, though. One of y'all go. I, you mentioned to me something you saw the other oh, day. Oh, I was going to. This one okay. I was going to mention is uh, if you have not seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix, I think it ought to be required viewing. Okay. I'm serious. I, it was the most eye opening, well told. Um, explanation of what technology and social media and phones and everything it how it is affecting our society Mm. and it was spot on and and it and it shows you things that you kind of had an idea of i think there there there's something else going on behind the scenes of these tech companies but you weren't sure exactly how they were manipulating Mm -hmm. and and tracking you and watching and, and and manipulating what we think and what we see and uh, this 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 whole documentary does a good job of just sharing how that works. What because it's it's told from the perspective of the people who used who actually started a lot of these tech companies. There's right. a oh. former Facebook exec. There's a guy who started the CEO of Pinterest, and uh, just all these social media brands that we all know and we all use. And they sort of come out of that world right. now. And one guy in, in particular is just kind of sounding the alarm and says. We started all this for, for good, and it has some good purposes, but it's been changed and manipulated into this thing. And, and and they show how it's affecting not just us personally, but systems in our world, sure. political systems, yeah, oh, absolutely. beliefs in our world, in our country. And it it's eye-opening. I, I, I sat down and watched it with both my kids, my wife. We all sat down and watched it together, and uh, it was it was a good conversation starter at the end of it. Cool. We had I, some really good talks. So. I will check it out then. Yeah, I I think everybody should. If you're if you have a phone and especially if you have kids, I think it's huge. So yeah, I I'm not. I saw one of those guys talk on 60 Minutes several years ago that mm-hmm. had been in charge for Google to keep us scrolling. You know, you yep. know that that was, and uh, he's definitely been sounding the alarm for a few years now. So I, I the, the 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 I wish I could remember that. There's a quote that he 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 talks about the when and I loved. He said. When you uh, when you get something for free, when you're using a product for free, he said, um, mm-hmm. 
that it is no longer the product. Right. You have become the product. That's right. And that, that, that whole premise is what the thing is based on, that we have now become the product that these companies are going after and, and selling, selling to, to other, other people. people. Yeah. And so we've yeah. been commodity. Com- we've become commodities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our thoughts, actually, our attention spans have become commodities. And um, that's a dangerous kind of thing. So. It's always been that way. It's just that now we all carry around the device that right. allows it. They used to have to get us places. You know, they would mm-hmm. pull us in by free things. It would take us somewhere. They'd yeah. get demographic information on us. They'd do all that stuff. Yep. And we thought we were going for the gift. They didn't care about the gift. They'd give us stuff that was really worth a lot yeah. just to get our information. So, yeah. So, so social dilemma. Watch it. Cool. That's my answer. What do y'all got? I was trying to figure out the name of the book. I couldn't remember. But when you said book, I, I, I haven't watched much TV. My wife and I watch Big Brother a lot. And right now, there's not a lot new out. So we're, we're catching up on old episodes of Big Brother. So that's really <laughs> the only TV show that uh, I, I, could, I could really recommend to anybody. Um, movie about the same. I don't think I've watched a new movie. I, I did see the new Christopher Nolan movie, but I would not recommend it to anybody. <laughs> I so. heard it's confusing. Yeah, it was not. It was not anything. Uh, certainly, if, if you're weary of going to the movie theater, this is not the movie <laughs> to get you to go back. So, um, but I'll say this: I've read a couple of books, and um, one I'm in the middle of reading. It's a it's a longer book that has was very has very intriguing. If you like nonfiction kind of stuff, it's called King Leopold's Ghost. <laughs> it's a long. It's a it's a longer uh, book, but it's about. I had I had never really heard about this person but king leopold of belgium apparently is responsible for more whatever you want to say, refer to it genocide or more deaths as a leader than hitler stalin mao any of those wow. people but because he was in africa and the congo we don't talk about it a lot mm. but after slavery had already been abolished in america this is in the late 1800s after all of that he was as many countries in Europe and such were kind of dicing up Africa and deciding which parts they were going to colonize. He got a hold of the Congo, which has now had so many problems in the democratic Congo. And uh, it's a pretty, at times, very horrifying read. But as a lot of those nonfiction books are, just a lot of history that you get, and you're like, wow, I didn't know that that's how that happened. But you can see the ripple effects. So if you like nonfiction kind of biography stuff, it's not written. I struggle often with biographies because often people, I mean, I know both of you like them, people who write, who historians often are not the best writers. So, But this person, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Let me find it so I can say it correctly. Adam Hushold? I don't know how you pronounce. He it. sounds like a biographer. Yeah, but he, he writes more in the in in terms. It feels almost like a novel at times. So oh, it, cool. it reads okay. a little better. Means he's a good writer, not just a historian. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff about. Uh, I I grew up even though I was homeschooled. A lot of my stuff came from. Uh, Christian private school kind of education. So I learned a lot about like David Livingston and a lot of those guys who mm-hmm. were in there. So there's a lot about that that you don't know on the other sure. side. And so you get into all that kind of stuff. And uh, But another book that was interesting, it's a Christian book I've been reading, Brian Zahn's book, Postcards from Babylon, uh, which coming out of our uh, last series, kind of about putting your faith in front of your politics. It's a very challenging kind of read. But it also reads... A lot of Christian authors don't write very well. They often have good things to say, but they're not writing. It reads a little easier, so I think Brian they, Brian Zahn is a really good writer. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. he's a really creative writer. That, that is a very good book. I agree with you. So cool. anyway, those have been the two that I've, I've been read recently that have. Yeah, unfortunately, I was going to try to do fiction since we're doing nonfiction stuff. I haven't read any fiction this summer, unfortunately. 
Uh, I wish I need to get back to it. I love reading fiction, I, yeah. but I read a lot of nonfiction as well. And this summer, um, I think, I mean, I already told the church, I've been reading a lot about race and the church and history of all of that. I'm still reading some of that. Um, I don't know that anybody wants to hear my recommendations on that because it's just going to reinforce what some people already, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I just don't want to have that, uh, uh, that discussion to be honest with you. Uh, but I've had a lot of those kind of readings. The most recent, uh, documentary that I've watched that I just loved is also sorted down that same, mm-hmm. but it's called Yusef Hawkins. Yusef, maybe that's not right. Yusef. Anyway, it's about a young uh, man that was killed in New York City uh, several years ago and all that surrounded that. And I did not remember it, but I remember the time period. And uh, certainly, I, I, I love all of that kind of stuff. We're probably 30 years away from that, mm-hmm. how the ripples of that have taken place and how uh, it's, again, another one of those examples of this happened 30 years ago and everybody thought this is going to be a defining moment. And it's going to change everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really hasn't changed much at all. Mm-hmm. So for fun, the most recent thing I've watched for fun, for fun. that is uh, the uh, Netflix b- uh, barbecue showdown, which has the oh, lady yeah. from Noonan uh, as one of the contestants. Cool. I don't want to, but I, when I saw that she was in it, I realized, oh, she's the uh, chef at Meals on Wheels mm. here in Noonan. Okay. And, uh, it's it's really enjoyable. It's an, it's one of the cooking competitions. It was filmed here in Conyers. Uh, so, and as you know, I'm all about some barbecue. I am also yeah. about barbecue. And yes, they, sir. There's a lot of. In fact, one of the judges is a person I had never heard of, but she's apparently a seven-time barbecue competition champion, which mm. shows I don't know a lot about that world. Yeah. And she has a rest. She's from Mississippi. I didn't know anything about that, which probably means she does Memphis dry rub, which I just love. Mm-hmm. So uh, okay. that's the most. We just finished it last night. I know who wins now. So don't spoil it. I won't spoil it. Don't spoil it. But it was it was very enjoyable. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now on to more serious questions. Um, that this, took too long. That's okay. <laughs> uh, normally we we do listener questions. Didn't get any this week. So uh, if you have a question you just haven't asked us in the description. Uh, use that link and you can ask us. But uh, a few weeks ago, I did some digging on the internet and I, and I was wondering, what are people in our area asking questions about on Google? Because, mm. you know, now we hear lots of people just go to Google and type in questions right. that they're looking for answers for. And I found this website that sort of catalogs spiritual questions that people are asking. And they had it sort of categorized by region or state. And I thought it was interesting what the question for Georgia Number one question. What, what the number one spiritual question that people ask Google in our state, where we are, in Georgia, and it is this. How do I forgive someone who's hurt me? Mm-hmm. Now, I thought, of course, it may have compl- all these thoughts of, why is it in Georgia that we're hurting people so well, much? Well, I'll just say this. I completely <laughs> agree with Google, not that they asked me, but that is the number one question I, get I also get hmm. most asked. Yeah. So I thought, well, let's, let's have a conversation about it because people ask it. People ask us. Um, what would you say to a person who's, who asked you that question? How do I forgive somebody once I've been hurt by them? I think the first thing you have to say is that it's a, it's an ongoing process. Like mm. we often think of it as a status I'm going to get to, like mm-hmm. I'm going to. Mm-hmm. They are now forgiven, and I'm done with that thing. But often, and we're actually doing a series on something similar along these lines mm-hmm. of past hurts, 
they often creep up again and again and again and in different ways and in ways that you wouldn't expect. And so I think often um, I wrote this in, in a message in that series and I just it was just one of those moments where you write, I write something and I go, oh, that is true. I'd never thought of it until I wrote it. I said, oh, that's true, which is the closer I've gotten in my discipleship to Jesus, the more enemies I realized I had wow. in that I, I often try to minimize the hurts that have been done to me or overemphasize my own spiritual growth of like, I'm beyond that. Like, mm-hmm. I know that hurt and they did that wrong, but I'm mm-hmm. like Jesus and I've forgiven. And there's often, it, and it just comes back up and it comes back up. And often now in my prayers, there's several people that over and over again, I'm just praying for, even when I feel like I don't hold any animosity towards them, but I just know that's going to creep back up again. I have to keep doing the hard work mm-hmm. of loving them, because mm-hmm. um, the goal of forgiveness in the end is love, sure, and and love for enemy. That Jesus said you're to love your enemies, which mm-hmm. means you're going to have some yeah. along the way. Yeah. So I think that's 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 how I'd begin is just saying that it's not a when you say like how do I forgive? There's not five easy steps, that's and right. You'll be done with it, and yep. you can move on. That's so right. That would be my first bit of. I remember uh, we. We did a series, I don't know if it was the entire series, but I know we talked about this a, a, a while back, and, I, and I, it's always stuck with me. It's, and I think, Ed, you're the one that said this, was um, at some point, what, because what unforgiveness in me, what it looks like is a debt-debtor relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it is me uh, looking at a person and saying to them, you still owe me something. And, and, I, and I approach them with that posture, and I treat them, and I, and I think of them in my heart and mind in that way. They owe me, they owe me, they owe me. And you I'm took just, something from took me. took something away from me, and, and we talked about how it's, it's good to identify what did that person take from me. And part of the process that you talked about, Nathan, is coming to a place where you declare and begin to live as if that person does not owe me anything anymore. Right. And, and But like you said, it's not something that I just turn a switch on and, and it happens. I have to almost, for me at least, re-forgive every single time that right. has come to my heart and mind. I, I remember that person or that moment, and I have to go, oh, wait a minute. I've decided they don't owe me anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to live as if they don't owe me and treat them in that way. Right. And, and, and that's, that's been helpful for me for the hurts that I've experienced. Yeah, and I think that redoing it is very important because I think even when we think of like, you don't owe me, we think of it as like a a, a, a ledger that I've already moved that to the category, yeah. so I don't, that's never going to come back up. But it's a every day I may have to move sure, it back over sure. into the into a different well, category. Well, particularly every time I see them, oh, yeah. or sure. every time somebody well, mentions them, them or, because it's not we wouldn't be we wouldn't be normal. I mean, God has the ability to pr- switch us over. Mm-hmm. And move us over there, mm-hmm. and and let that be it. But I'm not God, yeah. And so, I'm I don't have the ability to forget what happened. Mm-hmm. I just right. don't. That's people right. may act like they do. I do not. I mean, and maybe some people do. That you go, hey, remember back when I punched you in the nose? I go, what? <laughs> you did what? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna always remember what that felt like. Mm-hmm. I just have at some point go. Okay, that I am not holding that against you. Yeah, you took something away from me. You embarrassed me. You hurt me. You physically, whatever happened, and I'm just not gonna. And every time I see you, I may have to go through that work. My experience has been on this personally, and with people who wind up talking to me, that what I think we all want 
is I want to feel like it never happened. Right. I want to get to the place where I don't feel bad about this anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, like any wound, a wound that is still open is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. I don't have to let it be infected. I don't have to let it destroy me. But a wound that has not completely healed, it, it just still hurts. And I shouldn't expect it not to hurt. Mm-hmm. I have to protect it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I do have to do the work of making sure it heals. And with deep emotional kinds of things, the work is mainly going on between me and me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, yeah, because there's a difference, and in, in, I don't want to get too much in this because I know it's not the question, but there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, forgiveness it, takes one person. It takes right. me. Right. It takes me. Yeah. Reconciliation requires the other person to admit they've done something. They have to take what we refer in, you know, spiritual terms of repentance, that I'm mm-hmm. taking action steps to not only repair what's <clears throat> been done as much as I could, but also to to make sure I don't continue in this whatever the behavior was. Mm-hmm. That is what you may have to forgive. Well, I shouldn't say you, you need to forgive everybody, but you often are going to forgive people that you can't reconcile True. with. Because their behavior is never going to change. Yep. Well, well, they're unsafe. They're unsafe. You can't trust them. You know, if you've been lied to so many times and they're never admitting, or they say they're sorry, but then all the behavior continues. You go, well, you're mm-hmm. not actually doing it. So there's a difference. People have said to me before with that thing, they'll, they'll try to put us in the position. They go, but before I can be forgiven by God, I have to come mm-hmm. and ask him for it. And I say, well, that's not technically true. That's, that's right. right. Before you can be reconciled yes. to God, you have yes. to come and accept it. At the moment Jesus Die. gave his life... Whatever happened between him and God at that moment forgave the sins of the world. God no longer deals with us according to our sins. That's right. That's right. The whole world. That's right. But he gave to us. That's why it's, Paul says, mm-hmm. we have the ministry of reconciliation, yes. which yes. means I'm taking my friend and Jesus. I have a friend in Jesus who's forgiven me. I take my other friend and I go, hey, you two work your stuff out. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like... Hey, I already did my part. That's right. All I'm waiting for is you to say you want mm-hmm. what I, I came to offer. So when it comes between people, I can totally, completely forgive a person mm-hmm. very much like God does, but I can't be reconciled until right. they come to the point and they go, hey, I know what I did punching you in the face was wrong. I know I was off track in doing that. That was mm-hmm. totally on me. And I'm sorry, man. I would love for us to—I I don't ever intend to do that kind of thing again, and it was me. At that point, we have a chance to rebuild trust because they've owned it. Yeah. But as long as I forgive and they remain the same, I can forgive them, but reconciliation is— it's nothing wrong with my forgiveness if we don't become the same again. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think on that point, what, what a quote that was very helpful to me was Dr. Henry Cloud, who's a psychologist, mm-hmm. Christian— um, he he wrote several books that have been very helpful to me, but in a very difficult time where I was really struggling with unforgiveness, one thing he, he wrote on this idea of forgiveness and reconciliation, he said, if you're still playing out arguments in your head that you think, if I just say it a different way, or if I tell them how much they hurt me, or if I do this, then they'll say they're sorry and I won't feel bad, mm. you haven't forgiven them. And, and you'll never be able to be reconciled because you're still saying you owe me an apology. Yeah. You owe me this. And that that's the difference is, as you said, the, 
the writers of the, the New Testament in particular regularly say, forgive as the Lord forgave you, which means yeah. forgive while they're still a sinner, yep. while they're still in their sin, while they're still doing the bad thing, mm-hmm. you forgive on your part and say, I'm ready for reconciliation when you're ready, but I don't hold those ill feelings or those wanting to get you back, or even I can't let this go till you say you're sorry. And right. once I had that in my head, I had to start doing every time because we all do this, and maybe it doesn't look the same for you, but we all have some version of playing the argument or going, ooh, if I could just go back and say that or mm-hmm. do that, or next time I see them, they're going to say this and I'm going to say that, whatever that is for you. I had to just stop myself, no, mm-hmm. because there's no version of that that satisfies things. And what I had to come to terms is even once they say they're sorry, that's not taking this away. No. Sure. So I've got to give up hope not hope. I have to give up the notion that they're going to say sorry so I can forgive them with the hopes that one day they do so that we can. I think when you talk about the thing of not feeling the way I often get to people, we we are longing for reconciliation mm. and don't want to do the work of forgiveness. What I'm hoping is they they come and say they're sorry and that somehow magically fixes all the bad feelings I have and we can we can go back to the way things work. I mean, I guess in very extreme cases, I may not want reconciliation at all. But I think a lot of us go, I wish they just knew. And if they knew how bad it was, and we could we could go back to the way it was. Hmm. And I don't have to – I won't have to deal with these things. Those things will get fixed with the reconciliation. But it, yeah. it has to start with forgiveness. It does. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the only healing for me is with forgiveness. And right. Mm-hmm. I It's one of those things I've had this conversation with – people that are both followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. And I think you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to forgive people. I don't mean that at all. But if you want your rationale for why to do it, Mm. I I don't really have a great rationale other than it's the only way for you to really mentally, emotionally heal. Mm -hmm. That's a great rationale. It's very self-focused. For the follower of Jesus, we're never told to do it because it makes us somehow better. We're told to do it because... We know we are people who are forgiven. Yeah. We, we know what it's like to have been the one that was on the wrong side. God's forgiven us, and it's out of that forgiveness that he pours into us. Mm-hmm. So my rationale is just to give to other people what they've given to me. Doesn't make it easier. No. It does give me a motivation for me. You know, I, the biggest hurt I've ever had in my life, well, I don't, have to, I don't feel the need to tell anybody what it was, but it took me, I, I bet... A decade, mm-hmm. and I felt hypocritical not being able to be over it. Every time I'd hear the person's name, I'd have the feelings. And I finally, finally, when after talking all of that through, what do you owe me? Working with counselor, all of that kind of stuff. It finally, when it finally came down to, it was a way that I could worship God, mm. that I could be thankful to God. It became, and I, this, I'm not saying this is for everybody. For me, that became a thing, mm. that every time I would hear the person, I began to say, I don't owe you because Jesus forgave me, and I'm so mm. thankful for him. What kind of a person would I be to hold something against you? And so, Lord, I offer this thing that they did to me as a gift to you. I don't hold it against them like you don't hold it against me. That, that changed me. And there is something about forgiveness that does put us back in touch with the grace and forgiveness oh, of God absolutely. for us. And I believe that is part of what Jesus was saying. He said when he said to pray, forgive us our debts as we go about forgiving our debtors. Yes. I, I don't think that was necessarily a qualitative thing. No. If if you do this, then God right. will do this. It's not a transactional. No. It is a 
it is an as I go about doing this in my life, continue to remind me of the forgiveness offered to me, and we get put back in touch with that. Well, and there is a way, you know, kind of, you're talking about like the, the positive flow. There is a negative flow of whether, you know, because you've already talked about Jesus dealt with sin, so the forgiveness part's been dealt with. There is a level, though, which the the flow of God's Spirit, you know, often people, the ancient writers talk about it, the kind of the current mm-hmm. of the Spirit. I do when I'm holding on to a grudge. I'm taking a step out. Oh, I I'm step getting, out of the flow for I, sure. I'm getting Absolutely. my toes in it, so there's times I feel it. And so I'm so part of what you're talking about. I don't experience the healing part of the forgiveness until I forgive because I'm mm-hmm. still. Because the truth is, going back, you know, Jesus dealt with it, and Jesus tells a story, a parable of it this way, which is, I already dealt with your sin. There's a king. He deals with someone's enormous sin, and then you're going out still dealing like debts matter. Yep. Yeah. Because the de- I've already said, when I died on the cross, debts don't matter. And right. everything I have belongs to you. Every right. and nobody can take anything away from you that mm-hmm. really matters. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I know we've talked a lot about, it, but I think just to kind of wrap up on the on the how part. I think the thing you said is huge, which is the I have to find some, I believe, almost systematic way to go through a you don't owe me anymore. And it may be different. One thing I have found that many people don't want to do, I remember taking many students through this over and over again before, is I think writing down what the person took from you, writing down what, like allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to feel that anger. We, We do, and I was just listening to a podcast about this on another thing. We really struggle with anger as Americans, mm-hmm. and not because we're so angry. We are angry, but because we are repressing our anger, and we feel so bad about it. Even this part of even that God has anger about sin, and there's a part of us that goes, well, no, God's not angry. God's mm-hmm. never angry. But of course, when there's evil and injustice in the world, God gets angry about it because of love. Love drives him. When I And I said this to one of my daughters recently. When you hurt one of your sisters, I do get angry. Yes. Because I love you, and I don't want you to be a person who I don't who want hurts. you to be the kind of person that will hurt people. And mm-hmm. I love your sister, and mm-hmm. I don't, I'm mad that someone hurt her. Yeah. And that's because of love. And so part of me is having to deal with part of loving myself and loving this person is being honest and um there are these psalms. One thing that's been huge in my my personal thing is I pray through the psalms every day. I just start at one psalm, and I just do every psalm every day I pray through. And one that comes up frequently is there's this category psalms called imprecatory psalms, <laughs> which are, I'm telling you, I read them and I go, oh. Like mm-hmm. if you're reading them, you don't think them. They're angry psalms. They're calling for God's justice against people, and they seem unchristian when you read them. And yep. I think one thing that's important to understand about them is not all psalms are talking about who God is. That's They're right. showing us the way we can come to God, mm-hmm. the, the the manner in which that when I'm hurt and when I'm angry, some of these, I mean, they're incredibly violent. It's yes. a, yeah. dash their heads against her, take their children and murder their children because they've <laughs> hurt me. I mean, it's it's scorched earth kind of language about humans that, if, that God loves yeah. that this person is talking about. And I remember reading Eugene Patterson. No, I didn't read. I heard it in an interview with Bono. You, well, Eugene yeah. Peterson, had, uh, mm-hmm. who wrote the message translation, once said the importance of those psalms is everyone has to have a way to cuss without cussing. <laughs> that everyone has <laughs> to find a way to that thing in you that makes you want to say words and do all that. There's a way that when we do that, it's... It's acknowledging this did hurt, and I need to do that. And that leads me into this place that you said. Of- it's the hardest part I've found in helping people work through forgiveness 
is they do not want to spell out in detail what the other person took. Mm -hmm. they Especially may, if you're close with them. Yeah, they yeah. may not even be able to completely say it. And what I've, when it's just a feeling that you can't encapsulate with somehow, and it can even be wrong at first. You can make 20 attempts at it if you need to. But there needs to be something that said, I was owed a dad who cared about me. Mm. I, yes. was owed, I was owed a dad that I knew would show up when my ball games happened. Mm -hmm. I, I was owed a mom that would be home. Mm -hmm. And when you can't say that, you can't move on. That's well, right. because you, you just, they still owe you because you don't acknowledge they over owed you. That's anything. right. Uh, and the thing that we've said around here, too, is when you write it down, often you look at something that you believe they owe you that they couldn't give back if they no, wanted to. Oh, they can't sure. fix it anyway. There's no way. They can't fix it. And so you're holding on to something that is an unpayable debt. Yep. They can't make it right because yep. you can't go back and be seven, mm -hmm. and they yep. can't go back and have the chance to come to your ball game. That's right. It can't happen. But you have to acknowledge it, and it somehow feels petty to write it down. It does. It yeah. is the yeah. part that matters. Uh -huh. And we sometimes feel silly when we actually see it in writing. It does. Yeah. Not, not, that it, not that the hurt was silly. That's not what I meant. But no, of we often, yeah. when confronted with it, realize what we just said. I'm never getting that back. I don't know why I'm holding on to this, you know. But that's a part of it. It begins mm -hmm. to – It's a, and we're going to, you're going to see some of this. I don't know if you'll make the connection in the Trigger series yeah, absolutely. coming in two weeks. Two weeks. It, it really is. I, I, once I begin to logically go through some of this stuff, it moves it out of the protection, fight-or-flight part of my brain mm -hmm. to the part that connects me relationally, and I can move someplace. Yeah. But as long as it's this hurt feeling, I hold on to it because that's, that's, that's the only thing that part of my brain can do. Yeah, yeah it's trying to keep it can't survival. do anything else. No. So... Long answer, because yeah. it's, it's a pretty deep question. Yeah, so, uh, it requires a lot. It does. And I'll just say, you know, if you're out there doing that and we didn't get it all, yeah. hey, ask. That's absolutely yeah. we, we, ask, a, ask a specific question on mm -hmm. it. We would love to talk about it yeah. and mm -hmm. figure it out. Yeah. So there's that. All right, moving on. And now, edit point. Edit point. <laughs> Cut it right there, Joel. <laughs> Joel cut a while back. Like, <laughs> exactly. They already said it all in the first three minutes, <laughs> right. which is often what we do. We <laughs> say the whole thing, then just over keep it going. And over it and over it. So, all right. So, Sunday, uh, we heard from John Burke, who has uh, done all the research on near-death experiences. And uh, I'll just say, if, if that was your first time experiencing that teaching and you want to know more about that uh, and you didn't know this, we put a playlist together. Actually, yep. Joel did this for us. Joel. Joel's so great. He put a playlist together. On, no, not yet. <laughs> and uh, he put a playlist on our YouTube channel uh, of a series we did a while back called Imagine Heaven, where uh, we go into much more detail oh, about yeah. the near-death experience. Uh, more research. interviews, too. Lots of interviews, lots of stories. So if you love the stories you heard, that was just like a tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. So go back and check out that uh, playlist of those messages we did a while back. But uh, here was my question on this. It, this this is always pretty emotional for people. Sure. Um, I could tell on Sunday it's emotional for me. Um, so us having kind of looked at, read the book, looked at all the testimony and the evidence for the near-death experiences and what it tells us about what's uh, waiting after our lives, what, what have you found to be probably the most inspiring part of it, most compelling piece of evidence or interviews that you've heard that kind of struck you? I think, and this is kind of revisiting what we just talked about, uh, but I remember the first time I listened to the book on audiobook. 
Um, and then I might have read it again, but I remember listening. That's what I remember. And I I used to have a uh, I used to have a little Bluetooth speaker in my shower, so it annoyed my wife because I listened to everything at like two times the speed. So she'd wake <laughs> up in the morning to hear, you know, the person I can understand it, but she so can't. It was really fast speed and shh, yeah, really, really loud. loud. So I remember <laughs> I remember listening to this one section in the shower and getting out and just for the next hour I couldn't stop listening because it was so important to me. There's a section where they talk about the life review part. Mm-hmm. And he didn't talk about this part on Sunday, which I thought was very helpful where he said he so he talked about on Sunday that, you know, you see your ripple effects of what you did. But he all there's one part, and I can't remember who the interview is, where he talks about you see the other the other perspective of the person who hurt you that there's a way and one of the people says, I understood why I understood my mom better and the hard things that she went through, it didn't excuse this person had a really horrible relationship with their mom. It didn't excuse what they had done, but I understood they didn't receive something from their parents, so mm. they couldn't give it to me. And it allowed me to love them more. And um, I remember because at this point in my life, once again, I was dealing with lots of unforgiveness towards someone that was a believer. And I very much believe that they're going to be in eternity uh, w- with Jesus and with me. And I remember having the thought, if I'm going to be perfectly reconciled to them then, mm. and I'll see all the things and the hurts won't bother. It's not that I'll get to heaven. And I'll go, oh, well, I'm glad they did that. Like the hurt will still have been real, but it won't matter to me anymore. I'll, I'll look at it and go, oh, I see. Yeah then there's a level to which can I, as I believe the kingdom of God is here and there's a way I can live in that now, maybe I can begin to live in that now. And so I'm not saying everyone should do this. I began to kind of make up what I thought, well, what would be the best, you know, mm-hmm. what what could have caused this person mm-hmm. to do? What Maybe there's something I did, not because I think I did wrong in the situation either, but maybe they interpreted it a certain way, and that made them hurt, and so they were acting out of their hurt. And so there was a level of understanding for all eternity. I'm going to be reconciled with this person, and these things that right now I can't make a make it through a day without thinking about. I I, I don't believe I'm going to be in heaven still just thinking, well, man, if they hadn't have done that or said yeah. that, I'm going to be in heaven with this person, yeah. perfectly reconciled to them. Is there a way I can live out of it now? It was one of the biggest things for me out of that. It was very emotional. I remember, mm. I don't think I cried, but I remember <laughs> feeling like it's okay I, to cry, I should. Nathan. Oh, I know. I cry about everything now. This <laughs> was before I had kids. So, uh, uh, okay. no, I might've had my first daughter at that point. But mm. anyway. For me, um, one of them is, is kind of selfish. Well, maybe it's not, but um, I, I, it always, whenever I hear John Burke or anybody tell these stories about uh, what heaven's like, I, it always connects me with the reunion part of it, mm-hmm. of the people that I so much can't wait to see. And and the fact that we won't be separated any longer. Yeah. And um, there's there's just this thing, and, it, and I know it's the Spirit of God. I, I know it is. Every time, there is just something inside of me that just wants to leap out of me. It's, mm-hmm. it's a cry from... I know this sounds super spiritual and weird, especially if you're not into that, but there's just something deep inside of my gut spirit yeah. that just cries out for that. It It's that old thing of C.S. Lewis saying, if there is a longing in you that this life does not take care of, you were made for another world. Yeah. I feel that in physical ways mm-hmm. when, I, when I'm concentrating and thinking about what we talked about on Sunday. And I, I was feeling that all 
day long Sunday. My wife and I had conversations about, you know, she's lost both parents. Um, we've together lost a son. Uh, I have a grandfather that I was very close to. Well, two of them that I was very loved very much, and and all these people that I know are there, and mm-hmm. um, and I just. There's just that thing in me that just longs for that and can't wait for it. And uh, it's always a great, it's, a, it's a, a bittersweet kind of feeling that I walk around with when I hear these stories that, you know, kind of sticks with me. So that's, that to me is the, most selfish, the more selfish part for me. But then there's the other part that um, I think um, the, the lady was talking about, the one that was in the kayak. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, that she talked about... Um, coming real clear to her that the only thing that matters in this life is love for other people. And so I always walk away from that idea, realizing how petty I am sure. um, with the people in my life and the stuff that I get amped up about and <laughs> upset about and a little miffed about. And I carry around a little, you know, for two or three days with my, especially my wife, you know, and my kids and I just go, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that stuff doesn't matter. And, and if you would just get over yourself, walk across the room, put your arms around that person, or, or say you were an idiot, say you were sorry, you could experience what really matters. And, and, and when you get to eternity and you get that life review, that's going to be the moment that's going to matter. Not whatever, you know, whatever thing you were hanging on to, whatever pride or, you know, I'm right kind of feeling that you, that I often love to hang on to. And so it, it often makes me give up that just a little bit and I get a little bit better <laughs> in my relational mm-hmm. world. I, I try to keep it, but it, it often slips away from me. So that, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Mine are, mine are almost, uh, m- probably more along the line of Nathan's. I remember when we were doing the, reading the book and getting ready to preach the first time, that whole thing about uh, seeing seeing the ripple effects of life, uh, it's the interview he does with the guy who had been an atheist and uh, he dies, has an aneurysm in France, he'd been mm-hmm. an artist, and he, you know, he gets a chance to come back and he sees the impact that even very little loving acts had and mm-hmm. the damage that other acts he'd done had had, and he just missed it. Um, there's something about that that really impacted me on both sides, on the part of forgiving people. I have had, you know, in my life, my, my father was the biggest thing in my life by far. I mean, I always say he's the sun, moon, and stars for so much of everything. And for a long part in my life, negatively, he and I battled, I mean, battled, battled, battled. And I know he felt bad about it. He tried to make everything right. I just, you know, I was just too young and stupid. And uh, there was something in re- reading that and uh, that finally unlocked it and goes, hey, you know what? I do believe he's in heaven. Mm-hmm. I do believe he loved me. I, I believe all of that. And I thought, okay, one day you're going to understand it. One day you're going to understand all of that. And I got, you know, that's enough. That's enough for me. I don't have to. I don't have to hold on to this. I don't have to continue to blame. I don't have to continue to try to think I've got to work around stuff. I just need to deal with it openly, and then uh, begin to move on. And uh, it really unlocked something in me. The other side of it was, uh, and it's probably because of the age I was at that point. I had grown sons at that point that I began to realize, oh, I'm going to see the other side of that too, of how I did the same thing. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I go so. I just want to make sure that from here on out, I get to see a really 
good picture. Of course, I'm still going to have things I'm going to see, and I go, ah, yeah. I messed that up. But, you know, the smallest loving act, When I mean, Jesus said it, you know, a cup of cold water is not mm. going to go unnoticed. It's yes. not going to go unrewarded. And uh, I've put too much emphasis too long in my life on great big things, mm-hmm. making sure I get the big things right and the little things don't matter as much because, you know, unfortunately I can't do everything. <laughs> and it turns out it's often the small things that I should have been focusing on. They have mm-hmm. a deep impact on people. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, um, what are some of the misconceptions that, because this always comes clear to me when we talk about this topic of, there's, I've, I've dealt with people who ask lots of questions about what's heaven going to be like, and we often carry around these misconceptions about what it will be or what it won't be um, that I don't know where they come from. They just come from our ideas. They're certainly not from Scripture. Um, what are some of the misconceptions that you've heard about people's view of the afterlife that, that probably keep us from fully experiencing it or longing for it the way that we're talking well, about here? I don't know, again, if you want to talk about shows that I think are revolutionary on that, I don't recommend this show, <laughs> <laughs> only because it has lots of bad stuff in it. But the, 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 the TV show, The Good Place, hmm. I think does such a great job of playing on people's common perceptions mm-hmm. of heaven. Yeah. And I don't want to ruin the end of it for you, but it goes to, it really does go to the, I don't know, I don't think the guy's a Christian. It plays out to the end of where all the thoughts we have about it will naturally get, which I just tell you, I will say this, everybody wants to be annihilated. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I read a book probably a year or two ago that had built on another book I read that most of the views that most people, even Christians, have about heaven have way more to do with Plato and yes. Greek philosophy than yeah. they have anything to yeah. do with what Jesus taught Absolutely. or anything in the New Testament. Yes. And so uh, we just have really bad ideas that uh, mm-hmm. the idea of a, like it's a returnable, a retirement village, right. you know, yeah. that we all run around and we get everything we want. And, you know, there's a logical conclusion to that that most retired people can tell you after a few years. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... I I knew early on in Christian life, if if it's sitting around and not doing anything where I get to do anything creative or I don't have a problem that I can work on or mm-hmm. something I can work with other people on, uh, that's gonna that would be the same as hell for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I can't yeah. do something to be productive, I mean, I, I my dad used to say to me, and I think he's been right. He said, you know, you, you you're not a racehorse, you're a Clydesdale. <laughs> you, you, you were built to work, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I feel it. Well, in one of the uh, testimonies we heard on Sunday, that they talked about when when I looked into the city, there was bustling going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. That was their word. So exciting so to me. So much happening down there, you know? I love cities, and I tell people always like, oh, I love that we live in sort of the... I'm like, dude, I love the city. I love being close. I mean, if you grew up where I did, this ain't country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anywhere there's 150,000 people in one county, this ain't country. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where everything's far off and mm-hmm. I I love people. I love the bustle of life. Mm-hmm. I love I love New York City where it's, you know, something happening every moment. I love that and the thought that heaven is going to have that kind of excitement and now if again if you love the country, there's that too. There's that too. There's that too. So yeah, I, I don't that. have to be in my city. Yeah. The <laughs> thing for me that that switched my 
completely 360 around from thinking of, about the afterlife was I always had that more ethereal kind of mm-hmm. idea, disembodied. disembodied experience, and it's very that's, that's Platoism spiritual. Yeah, and and I when I finally got real clear on what Jesus talked about, Jesus never gave us that picture. He talked about the new heaven, the new earth. He used this stuff as reference point. And then Revelation clearly says what's up there is coming down down here. here. And so then I realized, oh, we're going to be here, but he's going to redeem it. And then when I finally got that idea of what true redemption Mm -hmm. means, I didn't understand what redemption meant as as growing up in the faith. I'm starting to understand full redemption and taking everything, everything about this life that we love, is we're loving the, the, the shadow or the right. less real thing. He's going to make it really real and fully redeemed. That includes me. Yep. That includes everybody I love and know. And yep. everything will be brought to its God-intended state, the way it was meant to be. And then, then we'll get to enjoy it. And that's why it's going to take us all of eternity to know and explore and to understand and feel God's world. Yeah. Because it, it will be everything he meant it to be. That excites me. You know, mm-hmm. the other stuff, I never got, you know, we growing up as, as a kid in old, old country church, you know, we used to sing a lot of songs about heaven. And I never could quite get as excited about heaven as I felt like I should have gotten excited about it. There was always that little bit of me that was like, but I, I really like this. Right. And what y'all are singing about. Uh, uh, Particularly the way everybody talks about it. It doesn't yeah. excite me. Anymore. No, I, it, it was like an eternal church service in the sky. And I was like, I, you know, church is great, <laughs> but I'm not looking for to do it for bit. eternity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but then when I realized, oh, this, God's earth and God's creation is good and he's coming to remake it. Yeah, it's and, a part about some people's end time scenarios that don't excite me, and that yeah. they, I think, go against it. I, yeah. God loves all of His creation, Absolutely. including the earth, and He's going to redeem it all, and that excites me. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think all of that. I think that was huge. I remember reading it back in college. The first thing of, I don't remember. I don't remember where I read it, but they talked about. You know, most of us think of disembodied and clouds. He talked about that if you really want to get in touch with. You know, they were like, go outside and feel the grass and feel feel those things, that this is what heaven's going to feel like and all those. And I remember I, that one always comes to my mind because I don't think it was in Sunday's thing, but back in the Imagine Heaven, I remember they all they talk about is the grass, yeah. that all these near-death experiences, they're like, they can't get past it, that there was the light was coming out of the grass, uh-huh. and that everything had these properties in which it wasn't like you could see through it, but like the light was coming out, and that they all talk about the grass is just different. There's something mm-hmm. about the grass, and I think about that all the time that— you know, when you talk about the city, the Revelation version of it is that it's there's a city, but it's also a garden at the same time, mm-hmm. that there's a tree at the middle, yep. which all is very biblical yes. language, and there's a river running through it and all this kind of stuff, that what God has always been about is partnering with humans. This is the way he wanted it. It's why he ordered the world the way he did, where I'm partnering with humans to, to rule and to reign and... Um, so what excites me about that is as somebody who, like you said, likes, likes to work and like to produce, but also just even in our families, everything that's so broken about our world is broken because we don't rule and reign correctly. In mm-hmm. any, we, we've been, God has given us influence. And it's why I've, I, I was talking with some of them, they're like, all, every explanation Christians give for bad things is free will. It's free will. So I was like, well, it's because free will is both the good thing and the problem. The, yeah. the problem is that we've been given incredible powers. I mean, you look at like the animal kingdom and you look at humans over it. We have 
God-like powers in comparison to them in, in yes. the ways that we're able to have because we're made in the image of God and we have this ability to, you know, and everyone's like, well, animals make war. They don't really make war. They they fight with one Out another. of instinct. They yes. protect themselves. Yes, mm-hmm. but, but there are ways in which the wars and all the different things in our world and even interpersonal, we talk about forgiveness a lot today and the ways that we've just misused our power in relationships and hurt people and how that what God really is giving us is a way for us to rule and to reign in for eternity in the way that he would do it and that it's going to lead to flourishing for all people and that there is it's not this intense pleasure factor because I even think when you talk about like there's something in me that when you say you know I want a problem to solve I go oh well there's not going to be problems in heaven <laughs> you know but that's not that's that's not a biblical idea that there's not Mm-mm. it's that the biblical idea is that there's no more there's no more tears he's wiping away the tears and there's yeah. no more fear it's not even that there's no more work it's that there's no frustration no resistance in my work yeah. there's no resistance that's, that's to what my came work. in the curse yeah right. resistance, resistance to, to the work right. so we'll be able to work on problems and figure things out it just there won't be any resistance. My body won't give out. My mind won't get tired. All of those things, it'll just well, be... Well, there's no ego. There's so much, of, right, so much right. of the problems in our world. It's so just... And it's hard for us even to see. It's just so interpersonal. And you know, and you just you, you look at the way our world is going to be. And so I, I, one of my favorite terms, I don't think it's a Dallas Willard thing, but he, the way he talks about discipleship is your training for reigning. Mm. And he talks about that. Everything, really, the, the reason for discipleship, you know, because I think inevitably... Western Christianity has gotten to, well, if Jesus took care of my sins on the cross, what's really the point of any of this like self, you know, improvement Christianity where I got to get better? And that's really the point is I am training for one day. God is, God's going to entrust me with things. And Jesus does talk about Mm -hmm. that those who can be trusted with a little bit here are going to get trusted. So if you want a selfish motivation, if you want to be trusted with more, he's got to be able to trust you. He's got to, and this is also a Dallas thing, he's got to be able to trust that you will do uh, naturally what he would have you do, that he can trust you to do what you want to do. Because right now, God cannot trust me all the time to do what I want to do. I don't even trust me all the time. No. no. And so to be able to get to a place where that's true of me, that I'm... Mm. So that's the part that excites me, is yes. that there's coming a day where we get to work together on these problems. And I will. We were talking about books earlier, and I know everybody doesn't like this. I had a, a class 40 years ago now almost uh, called The Fiction of C.S. Lewis, and my favorite book, it's still my favorite C.S. Lewis book, is The Great Divorce. Mm -hmm. It's a tiny little book that he writes. It's a parable. He writes in parables a lot about heaven. And it has so much. It's been interesting to me because I've read that book, I bet, I don't know, dozens and dozens of times. Uh, The things that the NDE people talk about of how the grass is Mm -hmm. solid and it's, but it's beautiful and it's not. (laughs) He does all of that in the book. And I'm just thinking, man, you're really brilliant to get that kind of stuff. Cause you know, he taught the premise of the book is people get a chance to go from hell to heaven Mm. and they, all this kind of stuff, but they're not real. They're not real. They're, they're light people and the people in heaven are solid. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, it's just, I love all of that stuff. And the, the idea that one day I will be solid, I'll be, yes. and what he means by that is I'm fully, I'm integrated. Whole. I, everything is whole about me. I will be able to trust myself. God will be able to trust me. I will be completely 100% me. Yep. Something you just reminded me of, and I, I don't, I don't want to get out of this discussion without mentioning it is, um, 
one of the things that was mentioned by one of the interviews on Sunday was how they said my, my senses were heightened. And I went from, and this whole thing of being made whole is what made me think of it. I went from having five senses to like 500 senses. And I, and, and I can't even, they couldn't even talk about it. Yeah. They couldn't yeah. describe it. Well, what's interesting is um, we have a friend who is a part of our church, oh, yeah. uh, our friend Liz. And I met her. Hey Liz. Hey Liz. Hopefully, hope yeah, if she's watching. Uh, I hope. I hope it's okay that I tell your story a little bit here. But, I think it is. Yeah, and uh, love Liz. And she, uh, she was a part of our Ashley Park campus for a while, and that's where I met her. And one day uh, when we started this topic, she told me about she had a near death experience, yep. and uh, it was because of medical emergency in her life. I won't go into it, but um, her NDE, uh, she reached out to us on Sunday and said what they said right there. She said, that's, she said, I couldn't even watch the whole thing because I had to stop that. That was so true. She said, it was that point when they talked about it. She said, I experienced that. Mm-hmm. My senses went from five to infinite. I couldn't even, I can't even describe to you how it felt. She said, but it, 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 it was the most profound thing that she experienced um, in her near death experience where she, she has a lot of the same parallel things that we heard in the interviews on Sunday. She's a great person to talk she to. Is. And, uh, but I, I, I love hearing her describe it, even though she can't describe it, um, that that is a part of what is going to be redeemed in us is that mm-hmm. wholeness and, and being, and being real, not ethereal and, you know, disembodied, but real and feeling and all of that. And what I mean, and for me being real is just being real. I, yeah. I don't, I don't have to, I mean, I just, I can just be me. I can just be fully me. I, I am looking forward to the senses, though, because everybody on staff knows I see like four colors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the we'll, fact that I would get, get at least what we get now. <laughs> I yeah. get to see the rest of the spectrum. The rest of y'all will get all new colors, but yes. just to get to see what y'all have been seeing. Well, and I think <laughs> on the point of, of, we talk about being, being whole, I think there's this part of us that misses, and this I think is very central to the gospel, too is when Jesus resurrected, you know, he has a resurrected body, and later Paul says that our bodies will be like his resurrected body, but that Jesus um, talks about creating a new humanity in this in this mm-hmm. new thing, that Jesus, because he was fully God and fully human, he was the most human human. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. we often think of like, well, he was just different. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was, he was, it was a God thing. He was doing God stuff. Right. No, he was doing fully human stuff. That yes. we are actually <laughs> less human than Jesus yes. was. And when you, because it made me think of when you said the C.S. Lewis, one of, obviously, I think probably the most famous C.S. Lewis stuff is the Narnia books. Right. And I was reading them with my, my daughters. And of course, I get way more out of it that they love the books, <laughs> but I get, because I'm understanding what he's doing. There's this part in the second book, um, second, I don't even get into the chronology of it, but the sec- Prince Caspian is the second book. So when you get into the second one, uh, he he talks about there's this part where all the animals that once were talking have now suddenly stopped talking because Aslan, who's the Jesus representative, he's he's left. And there's a small group that suddenly can talk, and these people who grew up without seeing the animals talk suddenly realize the animals can talk. They can do this. And there's this part where Aslan talks about they gave up their right to really be animals when they decided they wanted to live like someone else. And there's this whole part where 
and, and, and what it's analogy for is there's this part of us that's broken, and we've given up the right to be human. And there's so many of us that think, no, I am being human. All this indulging in uh, my desires and my passions, and that's what makes me, because we say that, right? Like, the I'm air is human, human, right? Yeah, I'm I got to human. be fully me, but I'm not fully me. I'm some reduced yeah. version of yes. me. Yes, and all that anger, all the, we're going to talk about being triggered, all that that's built up in me, the, those things... That isn't human. That is this other thing. And Jesus came. And so when we're in heaven, that's part of the wholeness that I think is just so beautiful. That might be a good place to end because I know that infuriated some people. (laughs) (laughs) Then we've accomplished our task. We did something today. Okay. So uh, this Sunday, anybody want to preview this Sunday? This is our last Voices Part of the voices. Series. You're our host for Sunday. I am why, the don't host. You, why don't you? Preview? Well, we're going to be hearing from some really smart dudes. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. not kidding. Yeah. Way smarter than when I'll ever be. When we said experts, these were the people oh, we were man. talking about. So, yeah, Dr. Francis Collins, no relation to me, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, who basically ran the Human Genome Project and mm-hmm. mapped human DNA. Put that on your resume. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be talking along with uh, Dr. Tim Keller, who's just brilliant. He's also brilliant. Yeah, so they're talking about the intersection of faith and science and how all that fits together and where is God in the midst of a pandemic and where do we look for those answers? Do we look to science or do we look to faith and do we have to choose? And that whole thing that often gets yeah. talked about in our society these days and they do a brilliant job. So. Really super relevant for where we are yes. if you didn't pick that up. I yeah, mean, yes. they're going to be talking about COVID-19. They filmed this not too long ago. Yeah, so back you, in July, I yeah, think. And so. so there's parts about, yeah, suffering and mm-hmm. all, where's God in suffering? A lot of great conversations. Yeah, so good stuff for us to hear. Invite a friend to come listen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Join you online, join you in person. No matter what they believe, I I think it'll be helpful and relevant to them as well. So that's what this weekend holds in store for us. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'll be hosting that online and And at the in-person campus as well. So, all right, so we're done. I'm going to cut it off. We're almost to an hour, so that's enough. Bye. That's enough of us. We will see you guys. Sponsor us. (laughs) (laughs) Shameless plug.